2: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, we investigate whether the Wellington Sevens is dead and buried. There's division in the ranks over just how worthwhile the Auckland Rugby League 9's competition is. And we hear from you, Warriors skipper Roger Tuivasashek. Roger Federer wins his 18th Grand Slam tennis title after an Australian Open epic against Rafael Nadal. And we catch up with the ever effusive Hurricanes wing, Corey Jane, who's just returned from a stint in Japan. And we also hear from the Silver Ferns, who've enjoyed a lopsided win over England in the International Quad Series. Is the Wellington Sevens rugby tournament on death row? It used to be one of the highlights on the New Zealand sporting and social calendar, but the numbers have dwindled badly in recent years. The long-term future of the tournament's been in doubt for some time, and last weekend's performance on and off the field could be another nail in the event's coffin. New Zealand, the defending champs, came sixth. The exact number of ticket sales isn't available, but according to New Zealand Rugby's Chief Strategy Officer, Nigel Cass, just 20,000 people attended over the two days, although those who were there say that's a generous estimate. Cass is the figure. Significantly down on last year makes the event unsustainable. And a review is now underway over the future of the tournament.
3: We're not blindly saying we're going to keep um, things in Wellington. Nothing's off the table. We, we have to go out and talk um, to other parties and see whether whether um, both they've got the desire to host but also uh, the capability. The, the other thing to keep in mind here is that it's um, a world rugby tournament. They play these... The other, the other tournaments around the world in um, iconic global cities and uh, an iconic global stadia. So it's not a blank sheet of paper. You know, we need to um, uh, we need to have a, a city and a venue that sits alongside Twickenham in London and Paris and Cape Town, uh, Dubai and Hong Kong and so on. So um, you know, uh, uh, world rugby will certainly have some. Imp- is there a point where everyone just says, look, this is terrible, we're all embarrassed, let's move away? You know, like flag it completely? We're not going to rule anything in or anything out. It's, um, you know, we, we have to say uh, this year that um, while the, the event for the people who were there was, was a good one, we didn't have enough people there. Um, and so you know, the fundamental question that we've, we've got to address in assessing options as we go through the, uh, the coming weeks is Um, What do we think we can do to get uh, people to the event? And and one of the hard questions we've got to factor in there is, is, um, you know, it might be that um, you know the the fans have have spoken and it's really tough to change. You know, we've we've got to be be open. We just can't do anything in a knee-jerk way. Um, As I said at the outset, you don't walk away from 18 years, which on the the whole has been um, phenomenally successful, without. Um, ensuring that you've looked
2: under every rock. So Nigel, by what, mid-end of March, you would know whether A, it's going to stay in Wellington, or B, whether it's even going to stay in New Zealand?
3: Yes, we we will make decisions about the future of the event in that
2: time frame. That's New Zealand rugby's Nigel Cass. The Pacific Islands are being tipped as a perfect host if the plug's pulled on the Wellington tournament, but is that more fantasy than reality? After 18 years of Wellington playing host, there's fresh calls to take the tournament to Fiji, the home of the Rugby Sevens Olympic champions. Alex Perrottet has more.
4: Some say they're glad to see the demise of the event that unleashed hordes of drunken people through Wellington, while others say the fun police have killed it off with alcohol restrictions. The NZR General Manager of Relationships, Planning and Operations, Nigel Cass, says the tournament has been arguably the world's most successful but it's not as fresh as it once was.
3: We have tried to cater for the people who want to go and party, um, and but also alongside that provide opportunities for people who may be a little more committed to watching the rugby and those with families. But clearly that hasn't met the market. You know, We haven't um, achieved the crowds that we wanted to achieve.
4: Nigel Cass says nothing is ruled in or ruled out, and the review will start to look at a different venue. While Dunedin Mayor Dave Cole put in a pitch to host the event, Mr Cass says World Rugby would be concerned about choosing an iconic city to match other hosts on the circuit, like Dubai, Las Vegas and Hong Kong. But if NZR was to end the relationship, there's others nearby who are ready to take the ball and run. That's the Fiji Sevens rugby team singing after their loss to South Africa in Wellington. The Olympic champions have longed for years to host their own tournament. Former New Zealand sevens coach and the new coach of Samoa, Gordon Teichens, says now's the time to take it to the islands. It'd be a great tournament in Apia and Samoa. I mean, we saw the success of the All Blacks 15-a-side game when they played uh, Manu Samoa, you know, just last
5: year. And, and of course, if a sevens tournament went to Apia, it'd be a sellout. If it went to Fiji, it'd also be a sellout.
4: The CEO of Fiji's Port Denerao marina in Nandi, Nigel Skeggs, says it's been a long-term vision to build a 20,000 capacity stadium at the famous tourist hub, but talks with landowners have been stalled. He says the logistics need to be worked out well, but Fiji is ready for it
3: always talk of, of uh, Fiji being involved in the Super 15. Um, we've got other international tournaments we'd be interested in it as well. So uh, it's all about developing the sport in Fiji and being recognised at Fiji as, as the world champions and the Olympic champions. But I think we deserve a shot to be able to host an event such as
4: this. But in 2014, World Rugby thought it was too soon, knocking back a bid from the Fiji Rugby Union to play host in the 2015-16 season. The president of the Fiji Hotels and Tourism Association, Dixon Seto, says when Fiji hosted a super rugby game last year in Suva at the 19,000 capacity ANZ Stadium, accommodation was a problem, with some players and fans having to travel some distance to the game. Mr Seto says if the stadium can be built in Nandi, the timing of the Wellington Sevens tournament suits Fiji well and could help its off-peak tourism season.
2: What we are trying to do in the tourism side is to encourage more traffic during the trough periods, and this would help in that respect. So, so, as we schedule sporting events, we would definitely schedule it during the, the weaker months because you don't want sort of pressure on accommodation when we're in the peak tourism
4: season, you know. Dixon Seto says he used to attend the event in Wellington, and although it's a pity it's on the way out, it only makes a stronger case for Fiji to take it on. This is Alex Perrette. Fiji did host
2: a World 7 Series tournament in the first season of the World Series in 2000, but that was discontinued after Fiji's 2000 coup. While the islands would seem a natural choice, infrastructure could be a problem. And Dunedin Mayor Dave Cull says if Wellington isn't working out, then everyone should start looking south. He says Dunedin has the best stadium in the country.
6: Yes, we would certainly consider it if if the idea were put to us. Um, you know, I, and I know why it would be put to us, because we have a reputation for uh, hosting really good events. We've got the only root stadium in the country and the whole community gets behind this sort of thing when it happens. I guess we'd also have to consider, though, a couple of questions. I mean, the question has been asked by the NZRFU whether uh, the sevens are sustainable in Wellington. And I think we need to ask whether it's sustainable anywhere. It's, it's, you know, I might be getting a bit tired, but um, and I think we'd have to also think in Dunedin about when in the year we might consider it. uh, We've got 25,000 students in the city, and if if we ran an event like that, uh, we'd want it to be at a time of year when they were here.
1: Right. Are they back yet? Are they starting
4: to drift in from far and wide Uh, yet, or is it too early?
6: They're starting to drift in, but they're certainly not all here by any means at all.
4: Okay, and and the 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 is not ideal. Okay, and the expectation, right? So, and this is the window that New Zealand currently gets it in. But I guess that's negotiable. Well, potentially. But the expectation is that the students would add something to it in terms of life and colour and noise and involvement that would make it entirely desirable. That if the event was held in Dunedin, it was during the university year.
6: Oh, absolutely, and they and they would add all those things just as they do to the city in general.
4: In terms of the, the the infrastructure. So there are a lot of teams that arrive in town. Can you cope with all that? Have you got the hotels to put all of them up?
6: Well, look, we've had um, New Zealand, uh, not sorry, New Zealand. We've had uh, Rugby World Cup games here. We've had uh, major events here, like Fleetwood Mac, and we put um, we put everyone up. Some of them um, stay a little a little out of town, but uh, you know that would all have to be looked at in, in the business case. But yeah, we've we've done. Uh, We've done bigger things than the Sevens, I think.
4: Okay. Are you reaching out to the NZRU? Are you saying to them, hey, we're here, don't forget us? Or are you waiting for a a knock on your door?
6: Uh, Look, I don't know that we've made any any approaches. Having said that, uh, our stadium management team are in negotiations about all sorts of events all the time. So it could be that conversations are happening
2: as we speak. That's Dunedin Mayor Dave Cull talking to John Campbell. The stars of Rugby League, Jonathan Thurston, Jared Hayne and Sean Johnson, will be among 250 NRL players and nearly 40,000 fans descending on Eden Park this weekend for the Auckland Nines competition and what's billed as a celebration of the sport. But not everyone's in party mood. There's division within league's ranks over the value of the tournament for the NRL and just even whether Auckland should be hosting the event.
4: Now, ladies and gentlemen, to be presented with the Downer NRL Auckland Nines Trophy, Corey Norman and your champions in 2016, the
7: Parramatta
2: Eels. All 16 NRL clubs will be at this weekend's nines, but not all of them want to be there. Penrith want the competition scrapped, with the club's chief executive, Brian Fletcher, calling the pre-season tournament an unnecessary risk for players.
1: I haven't heard anybody in the last three months give me a positive why you'd want to go to the nines. Like it's got flaws in it, compensation flaws for a start, players getting injured, ruining that team's chances in the competition. Could even ruin your state of origin side.
2: The Warriors are also putting less energy into the event this year. Playmaker Sean Johnson will tone down his participation in the hope of securing a more important prize, the NRL title. Johnson's been an ever-present fixture in the nines tournament since it started in 2014, and he guided the warriors to last year's final though he concedes he did consider not playing at all this weekend for me it's so hard because i i guess i dreamt of them having a tournament here like this for me just
5: to pull out of it and worry about other things you know i feel like this is such a a key moment in rugby league and growing the sport in New Zealand every time this this rolls around. So, you know, I know there's going to be kids disappointed if I didn't play. Um, and even if it's limited minutes, there's some there having a crack.
2: While Johnson's overcome his reticence, a host of Warriors stars won't be on display, including new skipper Roger Tuivasa Sheikh, Isaac Luke, Simon Mannering, and Manu Vatave. The Warriors clearly want to protect their assets for the NRL proper. But Penrith boss Brian Fletcher says the clubs run a risk if they field a second string lineup.
1: We can't. The rules, the rules are set by the NRL and we'd get penalised and fined heavily for not, you know, the rules are there. You've got to take so many of your elite players over to the competition.
2: Is it worth almost taking the fine?
1: Probably if you knew what the fine was <laughs> and how much money you got in the bank yourself. Like we've had six players come back from the Four Nations and yep. then we've had ten players who are recovering from off-season surgery. They're supposed to be ready for the nines. It's impossible.
2: While there's antipathy towards the Nines, former Kangaroos captain Brad Fittler is a fan. He says the format is the future of the game and labels those opposed to it as dinosaurs. Well I think in 20
6: years, nines, our Nines competition is going to resemble what 2020 looks like and also Sevens rugby. There's, there's no doubt about that. So I think some of those dinosaurs, most of you've just got to twist
2: their thinking a little bit. Nines may be the future for rugby league, but just how much of a future it's got in Auckland is also up for debate. More than 45,000 tickets were sold for the inaugural tournament in 2014 but attendances have been thinner in the past two years with 43,000 tickets sold in 2015 and just 37,000 last year. Organisers Duco were optimistic claiming more than 40,000 tickets will be sold by kickoff tomorrow. Auckland has the contract for the event through to next year but media reports in Australia suggest the NRL is already looking at moving it on keen to piggyback on the success of the Australian Tennis Open By hosting the Nines in Melbourne. The Warriors fullback Roger Tuivasa Shek has replaced second row Ryan Hoffman as captain for the upcoming NRL season. The 23 year old Tuivasa Shek is the club's 11th skipper. Coach Stephen Kearney says the appointment is with an eye to the future and not just about the upcoming season. Tuivasa Shek is honoured by the appointment but just how will he cope with the added responsibilities on his young shoulders?
7: It's such an amazing um, opportunity. I'm so honoured that uh, Stephen Cooney sort of um, approached me for this this role and um, with a couple of days of um, process and, and thinking about it and, and um, believing that I can do it, I, I officially said yes and, and yeah, I'm real excited about the year coming forward as as the but if I'm a Warriors captain, um, yeah, I'm just buzzed about it. How did it come about?
5: You know, what was the thinking? Obviously, Stephen said he wanted to have a good look at the com- yeah, at the combinations of players, seniority experience, the feel of the club in the off-season. So, how did it finally come about from him his, his approach?
7: Um, yes, yeah, so he approached me one day after training. I was on the Thursday hour, I still remember. Uh, he came and called me to the office and we sat down and said so he gave it to me, um, how he's been seeing me on training. And I was like, oh man, I'm feeling good by myself when he so he spoke highly of me, and then, and then he, he just asked me if I was um, if I would consider being captain for the team, and I was I was whoa, I was blown away at first. I was overwhelmed, and I was didn't know if he was serious or not. But then, um, yeah, he, he really thought I had the 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 potential to be a good leader, and um, he saw that I had the the quality in me. So, um, again, I was really honoured that he he approached me for that um that role. So, it gave me the weekend to think about it, and um yeah it was it was, it was tough to to sort of juggle the um the idea of being a captain and and as soon as I talked to a few people in my circle my parents and and a few, few of the senior boys here at the warriors i i um I backed myself and I believed that I could do it and, and I said yes to him
5: anyone in particular really help you with that process your dad i guess was really
7: important in this yeah straight away I told my parents um I was actually surprised with um my my dad's call i I knew with with telling him he was going to tell me to, to not take the role and um, just focus on getting back. But, no, he was blown away as well, and he told me that if someone's believing in you, then you've got to take it, take the opportunity, and, and that's what I've done here. And um, I also spoke to uh, my manager, so I, I sort of keep him in the loop in anything, Bruce Sherrock. I spoke to, um, actually went to Jacob Lilliman, one of the, the old heads who's been around the club, uh, Simon Mannering, another one, and um, also spoke to Hoffie. He was He was awesome about it
5: tell us a little bit about about ryan 's reaction to it all you 've
7: told the whole team, but just tell us a little bit about how he took this on board yeah um, so so Mooks told me he 's going to talk to Hoffy. Um, I really wanted to approach it first, but had to leave it to the the coaching staff first and and yeah one day after training um, uh, Hoffy grabbed me to the side and, and we, had, we had a good chat and he was just awesome about it, um, sort of lifted a lot way off my shoulder and he was just really supportive, he said he was going to be in my corner and he's going to back me and, and yeah, he just took a real professional and just yeah, it was, uh, just um, yeah, it gave me more belief that um, I could really take on this role. And what do
5: you think your style of captaincy will be? I guess you've got to think about that a lot, but have you thought a little bit about
7: what style of captain you'll be? Yep, uh, a little bit. Um, I know I'm only 23. Uh, I'm a young, young senior player um, in this group, um, so I sit, sit right in the middle of, of everyone. There's the senior boys and the young boys. So uh, I think I just, um, just got to hold my standards and just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, just keep leading where I can and, and just make sure that everyone's, everyone's even in, in this team. And that's with me being a young captain. That's how I see it. We're all equal and um, we're all just trying our best to, to make it.
5: So that adds just double excitement to your year, you're obviously coming back from a layoff last year with ACL surgery, um, how's that going and how does this captaincy help your anticipation for the year?
7: Um, yeah it's, um, it's been good, really enjoyed my, my rehab time and just getting over it day by day and, and now that I'm with the full squad I'm just, I'm just loving training, I'm jumping out of bed to, to get here and, and work hard. Um, with the cap- captaincy, it's um, yeah, it's um, made me um, realise that um, that I can really um, do something with this team, and um, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm perfect every day. Uh, I know you can't be, but I just try my best every day to to um, bring my my best value and, and my best ability so that this team can go forward.
2: That's Roger tuivasa shek and the Warriors have also announced this week that they've signed Kiwis and Melbourne Storm forward Tohu Harris on a four-year deal. He'll join the club from 2018. Tennis great Roger Federer made history on Sunday night with his win over Rafael Nadal in a thrilling hard-fought men's final at the Australian Open to claim his 18th Grand Slam title. The Swiss star and the Spanish maestro turned back the clock to produce another Federer-Nadal classic which lasted five sets r tennis correspondent Dave Luddy was there among the crowd at Rod Laver Arena when Federer extended his record for the most men's Grand Slam titles.
8: The crowd absolutely loved it. Federer, of course, beating Nadal five sets, six-three in the fifth. Federer's 18th Grand Slam, his first since beating Andy Murray at Wimbledon in 2012. But, you know, he had to resist a resilient counterattack from Nadal twice, He led by a set. Then he trailed 3-1 in the fifth before winning the last five sensational games. And you really thought when Nadal was leading, my word, he's beaten Federer six out of eight grand slams finals. You thought, there's no way that is going to come back. But he did, and 15,000 fans on a lovely warm evening here in Melbourne relished every move from these two legends. Federer, you know, smooth as a mountain stream, delivering those bursts of magical spells. Beautiful backhands, lovely forehands. Nadal, I sort of rate him like a heavyweight boxer, really pugnacious, throwing plenty of topspin leather. You know, it really was a classic, stunning battle between these masters of the sport.
2: And one of the many battles Federer had was age, really. He's
8: 35 years old. Isn't that extraordinary? And to add to that, remember, this was his first real competition since last Wimbledon. He had to pull out of the whole of the last half of last season because of the injury. He recuperated. He recovered. He played, actually, at the Hopman Cup in Perth as a warm-up. And then he came here. And then, as a 35-year-old, to come through and get to the final was extraordinary. And not only did he have to beat Nadal in five sets, he also had two other victories in five sets one was against stanford rinker and he also beat to and now this is quite sensational for a player who hadn't played in the competition but you do have to have a little bit of luck and the luck was really for both of them federer and nadal simply because the world number one andy murray and novak Djokovic were beaten early on but hey he took advantage of that last, and he won his 18th Grand Slam title.
9: Indeed. So where
8: does that
2: leave him? I mean, can he, whether Nadal, I guess, continue to win more Grand Slams at this age?
8: Well, yes, but eventually, you know, he's 35, he's going to be 36 in August, and what's going to be 31 this year. Eventually, age will catch them. And to play at such a high level for for such a long time, he's been around for almost two decades, and still be at the top of the tree in a golden era of wonderful tennis players. You know, they say, we'll never see the like of them again. I really think that is true. So he might win another one, but as he actually said in his uh, little speech, Beautiful speech at the end of having beaten Nadal. He said, if I don't come back, then, you know, thank you so much to everybody. And what he was actually implying was that not because he doesn't want to play, that the body and the injuries might catch him up. But, hey, if he keeps taking these nice long breaks, he might win yet another title. But 18 (laughs) Grand Slam times, it's phenomenal. It's
4: staggering, isn't it? And,
8: you know, there were quite a few
4: of these uh, top ones who came through over 30, weren't they?
8: Well, yes, of course, not only Rafa and uh, Roger at the age of 35, but the Williams sisters, of course, um, Venus at 36, Serena at 35, Serena, of course, winning on the Saturday night, they came through. But, you know, Serena is just amazing. She's so far ahead of everybody else. You think she's going to continue to keep winning grandstand titles. 23, she's won, just one behind Margaret Court. She's going to go on and go past Margaret Court. But the question is, where are the youngsters? And I actually say this, these are legends of the sport, gladiators of the sport, a special era And if they keep fit and healthy, hey, we might get another couple of years out of them. So let's praise them. A lot of people saying, well, what about the youngsters? There will be Alexander Zverev of Germany, the 19-year-old, who forced Rafa to five sets early on. But their time will come. But let's celebrate such a golden era of the sport. The two Williams sisters and Rafa and Roger, along with Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray. It really is sensational time to be watching tennis.
2: David Luddy speaking to Morning Reports, Guy and Espina. The former all-black winger Corey Jaynes returned to New Zealand after a stint in Japan. He was so keen to get back into New Zealand rugby, he rejoined the Hurricanes' pre-season training earlier than he was due. Always good for a soundbite. Jane spoke to the media this week about his goals for 2017, the Hurricanes' upcoming title defence and his Japanese
9: experience. It was good uh the rugby was was interesting that, that was the hardest hardest part of it, but living and the food and culture and uh, that was all pretty cool. I enjoyed it and you get a lot of you know downtime um, to yourself and the family came over at the back end too, so we did Disneyland and all that kind of stuff, so that was pretty cool. in terms of the rugby, is that you know language difficulties or is that a different style that you had to adapt to yeah l- language is, is tough you get an interpreter that runs on the field and well, not on the game, but you know it trains <laughs> and stuff like that and and tells you what happens and oh, it's just I guess you know in, in New Zealand coaches and, and some players talk about what they need to do and, and find the best solution and what's going to work where over there it's you know, the coach says something and that's what happens um, so it's, it's kind of like club rugby in a way um, you know a lot of the players if they just you know saw the whole field and, and made some decisions uh, on their own um, you know the rugby would be you know up a few levels, but there's some talented players running around. Uh, don't get me wrong; it's just you know, it's a bit different from from here. And I struggled a little bit. Uh, I played, you know, a, a few games, but I struggled on that aspect where um, didn't have too much input. No one can hear what I said anyway. But <laughs> how, was, um, how was the Japanese coming on? I well, thought too bad. You know, for you know, I'd order some food and stuff like that, and you know, talk to a couple of the lads. It's it's when I try to get too confident and. Try to go up to somewhere and order something, or and they start throwing it all at me, and I just get overwhelmed and walk out. So I um, said, I don't even want to eat anymore. But uh, no, it's cool. It's a cool experience, um, you know, learning the language and and the culture and stuff like that. So different stuff. is no one knows who you are. No one cares who you are really over there. So you get the you walk around nude if you want to, and no one would even frown. But um, I didn't do it. But I was tempted. But yeah, it's, it's just stuff like that. You know, you get on the trains and it'll be packed as and there'll be heaps of space around you um, so they just want to stand a little bit f- far away from you they're not too sure so um, different stuff like that that you don't ex- you know get over here
4: How did you cope without, without the family you mentioned before you know, fending for yourselves, you know, cooking and things like that how did, how did you manage ways? Oh,
9: it was, yeah, it was, it was tough at, at times um, I just threw clothes on the floor cause I was, and I'll go, I'll clean that up tomorrow because we had a bit of you know downtime. I'll clean it up tomorrow and about a month later it's <laughs> still there, um, so I just pick up dirty clothes yeah, go again, you know and, <laughs> So the the cleaning side of thing wasn't 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 too good, um, so it was good when the family came over because Mrs. is OCD, so everything's got to be spotless, and you know you come home and the house was clean, and so the the first bit, you know the first few months coming home after a hard day's training, and the house is empty, and uh, so that was hard, but um, I got a bit of PlayStation time where wife doesn't let me play, so i got to chill out and do that a little bit, so it was good in bed.
4: So after three months away, she didn't have a whole list of chores re- lined up and ready for you to do when you got
9: home? Oh, she did actually. She had. Um, I woke up and she w- went, to the work, went to work and she had a list of uh, dishes, I think mopping and washing and stuff like that, so I did the dishes, and when she came home she damn near divorced me, but <laughs> that happens every day. <laughs> um,
4: now you're back in New Zealand, and you're back... Amongst the boys and, and the All Blacks as well, does it inspire you to perhaps want to chase that black jersey again? Nah,
9: no, nah, the All Blacks are gone. I, mean, uh, <laughs> I was going to enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, you know, last year I wanted to had a couple of goals onto the show at, at 33. I could still, I could yeah. still play um, with, the, with the kids running around these days. And so this year it's just the same thing. Go out there and enjoy every training. Uh, it could be my last year. Um, who knows? So see how the body is and how these fellas if they're keen or not to go on some more so it's just to go out there and enjoy every training uh, get the opportunity to play then go a bit of fun there as well so um but it's good to be back it's good to be back I, you know I'm, I still like competing I hate losing so when we're getting out here with the the young fellas and doing speed and that I'm trying to beat them which I have been um you know and I I reminded them the other day when I was beating them in speed and I was like can't believe you're going to be 34 soon Siege when I was winning and they were like oh yeah I just turned 21 so uh <laughs> Cool, geez, but um, yeah, no, I just uh, I'm still still competing, um, you know, and still want to go out there and and enjoy it. And defending a title, unprecedented for any
4: Hurricanes player, so that must be unique.
9: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it was awesome season last year uh, to to win it, and um, but now, you know, when you when you win, every team want to knock you off. Um, But we're showing we can win, which is cool. Uh, A lot of hard work, and we've got to start from square one, I guess, because new guys have come in. Um, they're all gonna learn the, the system and stuff like that. So got a couple of pre-season games and I tends to run around and, and have a bit of fun before before the the season starts and the hard work starts.
2: That's Hurricane's player Corey Jane. The Silver Ferns have comprehensively beaten England in their second quad series international test, beating their hosts in Liverpool 61 to 37. After a sluggish start of the first up loss to Australia, coach Janine Southby told Bridget Tunnycliffe she's much happier with the sign's latest performance.
10: We've worked hard on addressing our issue with the start of the game, which we had against Australia and, and Durban on Saturday. So, you know, we haven't looked at the tape properly, but generally I think we got off to a strong start in each quarter. And defensively, we also wanted to work on creating more games and that happened right throughout the game. So I think, you know, a lot more confidence and you know another game into into the series and I think the connections are starting to come back again.
11: were you a bit disappointed with England's performance?
10: Uh, yeah I haven't had too much time to reflect on it I, I think you know the pleasing thing from us is that we we um, forced them into errors. You know, you want to get pushed all every step of the way but I think we shut them down pretty quickly at the start. So you know I guess they'll be they'll be looking at themselves and, and wondering what happened out there and, and working hard to address it.
11: Obviously the big lead that you had gave you the luxury of being able to put Kelly Jury on. How how did she find it?
10: I think she was pretty excited to get out there and just her heart was racing. Um and that seven or eight minutes she was out there and, and just yeah, just wanted the opportunity to finally get out on court.
11: So next up is South Africa. Um, do you hope to be able to get some of some more of your your rookie players out in that game?
10: Yeah, look, I think for us it's just another opportunity to keep working on our connections and our you know being able to put our game plan out there against a different opposition. You know, South Africa are quite different; they play you know slightly different timing and a little bit unorthodox, and, and not something that we're used to. So we're going to have to have a really good look at them. We know that they've got a really smart coach in Norma Plummer and, and she'll certainly be working really hard to, to get them up for this game. And they've just had a, a really positive um, result against Australia. And although they lost, it was a, the lowest score against Australia for a number of years. So I think you know they'll take confidence out of that and, and we know that it's not going to be an easy game.
11: Um, just um, like talk to you about Bailey Mears' accuracy. Game one, it was... Um, Pretty amazing, something like ninety six percent. And she seems to look a lot more comfortable under the the hoop. Do you think she's she's sort of reached starting to you know, reach her potential in terms of her sh- actual shooting accuracy?
10: Bailey's been working really hard on this, and you know, I've you know, I thought her against Australia, was shooting was outstanding. And tonight, before she went off, she was sitting on a hundred percent. So, you know, I know it's it's um, that due to the hard work she's been doing both in practice and also that ability to mentally stay focused and, and be able to put up shots under the pressure that that's put under out there. And, you know, you know I think she's the connections with the the attacking unit have taken a little while to, to grow. And certainly that last six months of last year, we saw glimpses of it, but it wasn't consistent. And I think just over the last couple of weeks since we've been together, we've certainly seen a real growth in that.
11: Bailey takes some amazing miracle balls sometimes, and quite often it's you know she's just flirting with that baseline and she's teetering. Would you like the attackers to maybe look after her a bit better, or does she need to start a little bit higher up so she's giving herself a bit more room on that baseline?
10: Yeah, Bailey and I talk about that a little bit, and just you know, um be nice to give herself a little bit more room, and I think she she knows exactly where that baseline is and, and I think the girls know how to feed her on it and That's one of the strengths that we have when Bailey's on the court and just that of her ability to be able to um, to take that ball and just go straight up and out, jump the defenders. So, you know, it's a real strength of her game.
2: The Silver Ferns coach Janine Southby talking to Bridget Tunnicliffe. New Zealand played their third and final game of the tournament on Sunday and that's against South Africa. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.